Many thanks to the folks at Squarespace for their support of today's show, The Cracked Podcast. They want to bring this to you because they want to bring an entire website to your life. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, showcase your work, sell products of any kind, or just be you on the internet. It is almost the fantastical future year that sounds like an eye exam of 2020, and you should have a website to go with it. So head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also so excited about this episode. Right up top, one of our guests today is the writer David Roth, formerly of Deadspin.com. So hell yeah about that. Also, my other guest is your pal and mine, Dan Hopper from Cracked and Elsewhere. So hell yeah about that, too. And beyond that, I'm excited for all of you to listen to this, because if you're a sports fan, you're going to like this show a lot. And if you're not a sports fan, you are going to love this show. It is going to blow your mind, because here's our topic today. We are talking about sports leagues whose new scandals explain modern America. One more time, that is sports leagues whose new scandals explain modern America. Because if you don't follow sports, I have amazing news for you. The major American sports leagues express what's been going on in the country the last few years in uniquely gripping ways and weird ways and fascinating ways. And a few things to define the terms here. We're talking about mainly new scandals today. Uh, so like NFL brain injuries, for instance, have been going on, well, really for decades, but also we've known about it for some years now. Many of these are new within the past few years or the past week or two. So this is cutting edge stuff. Another thing, when I say we're digging into the major American sports, I'm not trying to hand wave soccer or auto racing or college sports. By the way, holy shit, we could do, we could do an entire episode about college sports. It is a cartel, but... Today, we are tackling the four quote-unquote major American sports. The leagues are the NFL, MLB, NBA, and NHL. That alphabet soup of acronyms is football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Also, those are men's leagues, and all but football have a team in Toronto. Hockey has way more Canadian teams beyond Toronto. Uh, these are all primarily American, though. And sports are one of the most political things in America, partly because it's where people go to have fun by loosening up, and loosening up can get political very fast. So it's a really good uh, lens into what's going on and a way you can better understand what's going on in your country. Also, tax dollars pay for sports stadiums. So even if you don't watch sports, you are funding it. You ought to know what you're buying, I think. And we will have links about exactly how taxpayers pay for sports stadiums in the footnotes. We have assembled a perfect pair of guests for this topic, like exactly the right people. One is uh, a returning guest to this show, as I said, comedy writer Dan Hopper, who's written for everybody from Crack to The New Yorker to Ranker to the TV. He also co-hosts a podcast entitled The Only Pittsburgh Sports Podcast because he and his co-host Sean Gentili are the people doing the podcast about Pittsburgh sports. So he's an extremely funny person who knows sports so well he has one devoted to one city's teams. And my other guest today is the aforementioned David Roth, writer and podcast co-host for Deadspin.com. Deadspin was a good website, and I think he's my favorite writer about the current president and about baseball all at the same time, which is truly something. They were a sports site, but also one that contextualized it in the wider world. So that's how a baseball writer could also be the best writer about Donald Trump. 
So it's it's an unbelievable uh, panel, you could say, for this. And I think that's all the setup you need. So please sit back or stand in the batter's box facing a pitcher who throws 100 miles per hour while some idiot bangs on a trash can to tell you what he's throwing. It's really not fair. Either way, here's this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Dan Hopper and David Roth. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. And David, I am I'm so excited about this episode. And also, uh, David, it's like nice to meet you. I don't know if it's it's too sad of a topic, but uh, what's best for people like supporting Deadspin folks after that uh, website has, has gone its way? We're all still kind of freelancing and working on other things. And eventually there'll hopefully be some other thing to support. And for now, though, you can follow at Undeadspin, which is like the place to read Ooh. our stuff as it appears at other venues now. At Undeadspin. I love it. Yep. And we're talking today about all kinds of sports and how it ties in the wider world. And I'm especially glad that I believe you guys both watched the NFL because I, I stopped. And I'm curious how it's been lately. Like, what's the experience for NFL fans, especially like this year? I don't want to speak for Dan, but it's been insanely tight. Everything's been tight. Oh, like no, it's it, no, it's been <laughs> awful. It's like worse than ever. Uh, like, I have to say, the NFL is better than ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the NFL has been. You know, like, it's, it's getting progressively more like the NFL with every year that passes, which is, like, kind of bummy vibes and, like, weird injuries and, like, awful slap fights and guys in Oakley's, like, adding Adam Schefter on Twitter getting upset because they don't think he's, like, pro-cop enough. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, all, it's the same shit that you remember from whatever it was that you... When did you bail on it, Alex? 2016 or so 2015 probably is there yeah. any particular you were just sort of like i don't need this in my life anymore or what i just decided there's no solution to the brain injuries i decided like i draw the line at brain stuff like extremities injuries to yep. baseball and basketball players is fine yeah uh, but brain injuries there's not a way to like change the structure of the human skull and and the cerebral fluid and so on it's just the way it is yep I yeah. get that as like a as a fan decision is just sort of being like, you know, you're a grown man. There's only so many hours in the day. That was me with college football for sure. It was just kind of like I, I never cared about it enough to like just lose another day of the weekend to kind of just slowly turning into a pool of light beer on my couch while my wife is like, you know, we never look at art. We used to go to see art. And I'm just like, it's Clemson. Like, I don't, I didn't grow up in a culture that cared about that shit. So it's easy for me to not. I, as a Penn State alum, I could not imagine just yeah. wanting college football out of your life. I will say that Penn just State's response brought nothing but happiness for all of us. It's better than ever. I mean, I, Penn State is responsible for one of my favorite. It's like the only thing about college football that I've actively enjoyed this year is these weird memes on Twitter where people are like getting fired up for game day and they just like, pour a can of Red's apple ale into a ripping hot saucepan and bring it to a boil. And, like, that's it's just a horrible image. Or, like, filling a muffin tin with, like, Modelo Especial and just putting it in at 350. I don't know what it's supposed Wait. to mean. I don't know what it signifies. I just, I love those visuals on a Saturday morning. This is, like, a, an ironic meme where people are just taking alcohols and baking them or yeah. something. Yeah, baking them, boiling on. them, all the stuff that you classically would do with a light beer that you could get at, like, a gas station or any sort of mart. Uh, it's, it's really incredible to me to see it, too, because, like, a lot of these guys are, like, they really are Penn State fans but they still are willing to take the time to, like, bake off a bunch of, like, whatever, Malbec 
to prove a point to their buddies. <laughs> so so Saturday is Dave, you you wake up, watch a bunch of boiling memes, boiling and then memes. You proceed to not watch any yeah, of the sport. Time, time to hit the green market. Go have your day. <laughs> yeah. It's like not watching television during the day and only watching like inscrutable Twitter memes that involve cooking <laughs> beer. That's like I feel like I've got my, my life. I got a Saturday back. You know, if and then nobody does shit like that for the NFL on Sundays, which is unfortunate. There's no real like good funny NFL memes. I mean, it's just, like it's too solemn. That's why I was asking when you you bailed on it because there was this like moment that I think of as kind of like peak Goodell, like a, <laughs> around the Kaepernick like period. It was like 2015. I remember writing stuff. I was at SB Nation then. I think still, it was clear that watching it, it was like the NFL had come to sort of think of itself as like an unofficial branch of the military that should be treated with all right. the same <laughs> respect that you would treat to any other troop. And it was like a really <laughs> jar. It's just not great television to be like, you know, beyond the football stuff and like the constant, you know, commercials and everything like that. The vibe of everything in between, where it's like. Matt Patricia wearing just like a ghillie suit on the sidelines sending in plays and you're like I don't get this and I don't like it why are you doing this why is the American sniper guy like co-announcing this with Daryl Johnston like you don't need to do this shit one reference you had earlier was that like guys in Oakley's telling NFL reporter Adam Schefter that he isn't pro cop enough yeah and that is I think also part of a broader thing where the NFL can just never be conservative enough for people. Like, there's some of us who are like, it's a little too conservative. And then the rest of people are like, we need to restart the XFL yeah. to get a conservative league again. <laughs> right. Which Even is, though we've really, got the NFL. That's the Vince McMahon <laughs> thing, too, where they're like, do you ever want to see? We're going to give the players guns. Like, we heard you. Like, we're listening, <laughs> and we're going to make this real. Whatever. I mean, who knows how long the XFL the is going to last. The first football league with no capital gains tax. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what the hell is <laughs> All right, I guess. It's a scandal that's been going on for a while, but uh, the the main one for the NFL we've got to talk about today is the latest development in the Colin Kaepernick thing. He, he was uh, starting to kneel during the national anthem to protest police brutality and uh, injustice towards black people. It was interpreted as being anti-military, and from there he was told he can either quit or be fired from his team at the end of the 2016 season and has not worked for an NFL team since. He and a teammate who joined him were given a grievance settlement of less than $10 million, which is far less than either of their annual salaries to play football, and you only get the one payout. And then, on Tuesday, November 12th, the NFL all of a sudden told Kaepernick after three long years that he could do a workout if he wanted to kind of audition for teams. Then, after Kaepernick was only given two hours to decide, he decided to do it, then the NFL started putting a bunch of weird conditions on it, including some legal language that he would have to sign that would uh, sort of sign away his employment rights. And we will link to a piece by Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio to specify that. Anyway, from there, Kaepernick did his own independent workout. Only a few people from a few of the teams showed up. And it was a clear thing where the NFL was giving him a fake opportunity in order to kind of do cover for their collusion against paying him to play football. Basically, like none of this ever happened. <laughs> I, yeah, it. I think he would agree. I honestly was like surprised that that was still happening. Like, I thought that the NFL yeah. had just kind of moved on. We're like, yeah, we're not going to employ him again. Like, why do you keep asking us about this? And yet somehow, not so much. Like, they're ready to to go another few rounds with this stupid thing that they started. But the workout was especially dumb too. It was all very like NFL y. Like, it was an attempt yeah. at like maneuvering <laughs> by just some real dumb guys. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's a very very familiar experience up and down the culture now, but yeah, this was not a good one. 
maybe that is the most wider, especially politics thing about it, is that it's a lot of gamesmanship by stupid people. Yep. Uh, especially rich, stupid people. <laughs> yeah. We're being like, I'm getting the lawyers involved. And then it's just like, <laughs> time to go out and like accidentally sink a boat you own and be like, fine, that meant it. That's good. Like, that was fine by me. <laughs> I have another boat. What did the lawyers come up with? For the topic we were talking about, like the broader takeaways of these sports things. And I think yeah. the lesson here is kind of what you said earlier about how the NFL can never be conservative enough for people. Yeah. And, you know, if we've learned anything from Trump and the way he reacts to things and the way his hordes react to things, there is nothing at this point that the NFL or that Kaepernick could do that couldn't immediately be undone by Trump being like, this league still hates the troops, fuck you. And everyone on Twitter would immediately go along with it. Yeah. You know, even if Kaepernick came back, I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't yeah. say he would ever do this, but like if even if he like apologized and stopped kneeling and the NFL, I mean, I don't even know how they could up their military outreach effort. You know, they, they have, you know, applaud a hero every break at every single yeah. sporting event and get paid by the military for it, by the way, the NFL doesn't They're also in that. the middle of what the the salute to service month. They don't put them in like ghillie suits. It's not, you know, Tom Berenger's <laughs> sniper. The classic <laughs> reference that both of you, I'm sure, will get. But it is like the they do have the coaches dressing up in like what like fake military uniforms, like where the name would be identifying your actual name. It just says like Titans, and then it's like you know right. Mike Mike Vrabel <laughs> dressed like just stealing valor out there with a headset on. <laughs> <laughs> The, the troops just tearing up at like the Titans Colts like yeah. 4 p.m. 4 p.m. game with like the fifth broadcast team. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Like, Thank you so much, Wade uh, Phillips, you know, Jacoby <laughs> yeah, Brissett. Like... Yeah. No matter what they do, the right and you know not to, not to say Trump is the right, but he pretty much represents the right. Is is never going to be like I applaud the NFL on their efforts. Like they yeah, they yeah. have truly made right with our concerns, Trump's and now been... they do love the troops enough. Yeah, it's been like... clear about that. <laughs> The whole time. I mean, when he started this shit, he, that was he said that to Jerry Jones. All these NFL owners, yeah, like, he literally they thought he said was that their, to Jerry Jones. They thought he was their boy because he was rich and dumb too, and they like probably a lot of them were like Mar-a-Lago, you know, charter members or whatever. Like, yeah. I remember of the like, you know, whatever sunk eleven yachts clubs. They like get together every now and then and play golf. And he said, <laughs> I think his, the quote was like, "I'm not going to stop doing this. This one lifts me." Yeah, and I think that like that's the only thing that that Trump's ever really kind of believed in or has ever like. I mean, who knows what he actually, what he's ever evinced any belief in in public is the idea that, like, if it works, like, if it gets a pop at, like, this convention center in Fort Wayne, Indiana, from the, whatever Dan called the hooting dicks managers that are there, <laughs> then, like, that's it. That's what, that's what works. And you keep pushing that button until the treats stop coming out, which is depressing, yeah. too, because, like, bringing the idea of, like, Kaepernick playing for an NFL team, there's a lot of just bullshit quarterbacks in the NFL right now, like, backups that are going to play the whole rest of the year like kind of like no hope or yeah, fifth absolutely. round picks that got like pushed into action because like everyone was so sick of Andy Dalton that you just kind of have to do it and <laughs> <laughs> a third of the league has made the choice of like not winning a few extra games for several years in a row because they they think that their fans would rather like watch the team lose to the Browns in the snow than watch Colin Kaepernick possibly win that game for them in the snow. There's a book that came out recently that's called uh, The Big Game by uh, Mark Leibovich. It's good. It was a, yeah, really good book, kind of about like the last five years of the NFL with really good access. And he's a political reporter, so he, he comes at it from a not sports writer 
point of view. It's not an Adam Schefter book. But I feel like the main takeaway from that book, at least for me, it is just so transparent once you get into it. And maybe this explains a lot more of America than we'd like to admit. How much of the league is just completely run by the random whims of 32 weird, old, rich guys? Yeah. Not even and representative of like weird, old, rich guys either. Like these are the yeah, ones that are weird extra, enough to own an NFL team. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like garish, competitive, you know, out in the open, jealous of the size of your friend's super yacht type rich guys who have absolutely no connection to like regular people or care to. And the number one thing that they want at all times is just to keep printing money with no distractions. And the yeah. idea of a quote unquote distraction is like the most toxic thing in the world to all of them. And so whether or not they agree with Kaepernick or his right for free speech, I imagine a lot of them do directly hate Kaepernick, but I imagine a lot are also just completely indifferent. Yeah. They just... A hundred percent do not want to be the team that becomes the focus of a story that would be the biggest national story, like not even sports. The team that signs Kaepernick, the owner, the general manager, the coach, every player on the team is going to have to constantly be asking, answering questions about how they feel to have Colin Kaepernick on their team. You know, what if he kneels? Are more players going to kneel? Are you, you know, do you think this is an insult? It'll re-energize the conservative base. Trump will start tweeting about it. They'll start adding the team. Everyone's going to spam the team and the Facebook account. And it's just like yeah. in the mind of the owners who are at their heart just completely amoral capitalists. They just want to make the most money with the least amount of distraction. They are always going to take that path of least resistance and yeah. just be like, whatever, we'll throw, you know. Somebody uh, whose last name is know. Alan, Kyle, yeah. Brandon, pick one. There's a couple. They're bad. Yeah. Josh it's is slightly just, better. It's a very popular name for NFL quarterbacks. Yeah, it's just know. like, yeah, here we go. Uh, you know, Brian Hoyer, you're back. And yeah. You're play you yeah. know, it's just like. They would rather just do that and either lose or just just not make any waves than than make the biggest story in the world to get a you know a one a ish quarterback and have it become a national sports transcending story. Do you think that's actually a justified fear? Because I feel like I've gone back and forth on this at this point. I feel like if he signs any place now, which you know obviously he's not, but you know. We're doing a podcast, so if he did <laughs> sign someplace, what ifs? Yeah, yeah, I think he'd be signing as a backup. You don't just like sign a dude off the street and have him start a game for your team unless you're in the direst straits. And there's no yeah. team that's down to like a third string guy now. I mean, Steelers were for a couple of weeks, but that mm -hmm. was that. I don't think that it would necessarily be a crazy story for an extended period of time if a team signed Kaepernick. If he played even, I think it's the sort of thing where like it would get covered like an NFL story. And I think people would get mad about it. But this all goes back to me to like, this is again a thing that you see among far less rich people, but it's like a, a real like cultural tick right now. The idea that like a bunch of people sending like Andy Dwyer memes to your Twitter timeline is the same thing as actual violence against you. And nothing oh, yes. radicalizes rich people more <laughs> than the idea of like some stranger online who's being like, whatever, like Fartmaster420 being like, you suck, dude. And they're just like, oh, well, all right, this is this is uncalled for. And clearly this speaks to like some broader <laughs> civilizational collapse. And right. that it's like <laughs> just unbelievable cowardice by any adult standards, let alone by people who are wealthy enough that they will never be held account. There's guys in the NFL, the uh, people that own the Vikings, the people that own the Browns, they, like have committed and been convicted of 
big crimes, like major yeah. financial malfeasance. And they're not going to fucking jail for that shit. And so they know that they can't be punished for anything. And yet they're still sufficiently terrified of the idea of like being yelled at by Oakley guys online, you know, because they're not yeah. going to see those dudes in real life. They don't. Those guys don't have boats. It's a different thing. Is that like the one way that Trump is very different from these other rich people? Because like David in particular, you've written about him a lot. Uh, you are why he is the big wet president to me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when uh, Dan, you were talking about these NFL owners in particular just want no distraction and they just want to not be sent mean tweets and that's all they want. And then Trump is like even a guy who tried to buy the Buffalo Bills and and owned a team in the USFL, which was another football league. Yeah. Like, is he different from these rich guys because his wealth comes from dealing with the public all the time? Seems like all of the rest of them are just in fortresses somewhere. Yeah. He definitely is the most, like, public out of any of these dudes. Like, I'm trying to think of who's even close. I mean, like, Jerry Jones did some Papa John's ads, like, back in the day. These like, are guys maybe don't... Mark Cuban in the yeah. NBA, but yeah. just because he's good at it. Yes. Know? Cuban, I don't agree with him on everything. Like, if you email him, he'll email you back. Like, he's emailed me back for stories when I was at, like, Vice Sports and stuff like that. Like, he did not need to do that shit. Like, he's pretty on point about stuff like that. I think we disagree on, you know, a wealth tax. But, like, he's he's very cordial over email. Trump is— We know you're against a wealth tax, Dave. Yeah, I am. Well, that's—yeah, and I'm to the right of Mark Cuban on a lot of issues. (laughs) But the idea of, uh, like, Trump—I think that part of the reason why he didn't get the bills is that he's, like— just a blundering constantly like a fame ball guy who's always going to like bring attention to the league yes. in, a, in a negative way also i think he didn't have the money not to like revive the, the ah. least powerful hillary clinton attack on him from 2016 bringing it back <laughs> to 2019 he's a fake billionaire but like he's kind of a fake fucking billionaire and like you still need to yeah. have a billion dollars even to buy the bills like it's there's like a, a certain class solidarity that prevails among nfl owners in a way that's like even unique among really rich people that they look out for each other's interests to a certain degree, to the extent that someone starts screwing with their money, obviously that's less so. Trump is not like that. Like he doesn't have any allegiance to anybody. And I think that oh, like yeah. I think that not getting the bills and being told, you know, in that process that like for whatever reason he wasn't deserving of that. Like I think that he'll carry that grudge until his heart stops. That's just how he works. And so there's yeah. definitely some element where I think he's like he takes pleasure in tormenting these guys, despite the fact that, you know, there's like, I don't know how many, five or six NFL owners gave him more than a million dollars for his inauguration <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. So, and including like the Shad Khan, the first like non-white guy to own an NFL team, he did it. Like they just, I mean, I guess they made it back in tax cuts and stuff, but like that doesn't mean shit to him. Nothing really does. Like unless he mm-hmm. needs something yeah. from him. And like there's nothing they can give him that's more potent than, you know, the lift that he gets whenever he criticizes their shit. Yeah, I never, I never thought of NFL owners as being like good at solidarity with each other. Yeah, and that's an indicator for the wider thing that rich people are really in solidarity with each other. But like all thirty NFL teams have refused to sign Colin Kaepernick, who has an eighty-eight point nine career quarterback rating, twenty-third all time in NFL history. Yeah, uh, like there are thirty teams, and they don't want the 30. depending on how much you value. Yeah, oh, thirty-two. Sorry, thirty-two yeah. teams. I mean, that's like been the case all throughout sports I, dan and i are not going to hijack this and turn it into pirates chat but but so many baseball teams have done the same thing where they've like basically decided they're just not signing free agents on principle 
it's hard to read that as anything other than like a sort of a capital strike or sort of like at the very least like a concerted yeah. effort because all it takes is one guy to be like actually I'd like to win the World Series so like I'll be the dude that signs Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel and has them for an extra few months over every other team and nobody did it because it's hard to get these guys to do anything but what they want to do not just because they're rich but because there's no mechanism to force them to do it other yeah. than shame, which doesn't work after you get above a certain uh, income level. When no one's doing it, then there's no reason to be ashamed. You're you end up in solidarity with the other teams. You yeah, know? it's easier it's to like... yeah, it's easier to not do anything. That's one of the things yeah. that the Leibovich book that I found most enjoyable about it was that like you know you spend a lot of time with like some of the you think of as like the alpha owners, Kraft and Jerry Jones and. And, like, those guys are just, like, a little more polished or a little bit more smug or a little more self-regarding. But, like, yeah, it's like a, a country club or a high school, you know, like, clique or something like that. Like, they all sort of – fundamentally, they only really care about each other. All of their rivalries are with each other over, like, you know, who's up and who's down and like, the mistress rankings this month. It is <laughs> it is amazing about them as a group that you are right that Robert Kraft, owner of the Patriots, is one of the more effectively public-facing ones, despite being busted for soliciting sex in Florida. Yes, incredible. Uh, still is one of the like ones where like everybody, you default to calling him Mr. Kraft, even though you know he's just like a prolific handjob recipient, even by the standards of NFL owners. <laughs> And yeah, that uh, that NFL, it's just really a way to look at, at the wealthy in particular and conservatism. Uh, we've also got a lot of things here about baseball. We've got several baseball scandals here that speak to the wider wider world and country, and almost all of them have to do with the Houston Astros somehow. Uh, one of the most successful teams, uh, they've somehow found a way to be like shitty at least three ways all at once right now. It's, it's really amazing. And one of them is uh, in particular relates to journalism because it's a story where the Astros, since the previous season 2018, had been employing a closer named Roberto Osuna. And he was accused and arrested for uh, assaulting the mother of his three-year-old child in 2018, back when he was on the Toronto Blue Jays. And then the Astros proceeded to acquire him as soon as they could. And then they used him as their closer. And then this past playoffs, an executive for the Astros was reported as being thrilled about their closer and yelling about it to female reporters as their closer pitched in one of the games yelling, thank God we got Osuna. I'm so fucking glad we got Osuna. He said this uh, after Osuna blew a save. Just <laughs> yeah. really good shit. He was like, that, you know, you need a DV guy to do that, to give up like a back-breaking series of hits to the fucking Yankees and require your team to come back for a dramatic win. That was a shocking element too. Yeah, I, I, I was reading it and I was like, didn't he give up a couple yeah, runs and almost sure? lose the game? Their offense had to win it? Yeah. Yeah, it, this, it was unmistakable what he was yelling about and why. You know, he was not saying like, I'm sure glad we got Alex Bregman. Yeah. We love Alex Bregman. You know, like right. people don't just do that. It's a weird sentence to yell at reporters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's unambiguous what he was doing. But speaking of freaking Trump, the initial fallout from this, the Astros first statement, their first response, and you see this in, in all aspects of life now, and it's really disheartening. They tried to pull Trump shit where yeah. their first reaction to the story was to like double down and say it didn't happen. Like immediately after this came out, they were just like, he he was simply supporting a player on our team and this they got this completely wrong and they took it completely out of context. Yeah. And they basically yeah. trying to call the reporter a liar and gaslight everyone into thinking that Yes, this executive on the team was just yelling about how glad he was that they got this domestic abuse suspended guy who just blew a save. He was just excited about him. He was yeah. just exclaiming <laughs> excitement about, in general, about 
all the Astros players. It was a fucking and, and outrageous statement. It also had that tone. I don't think smarm is quite the right word for it, but it's like a very, you know it when you see it. This kind of like fake grand way of like reading like it's regrettable yeah. that sports illustrated a magazine with such a great history would stoop <laughs> to making up a thing that really happened and reporting it like and yeah, that's this... but like that tone is like the idea it's very like mike pensy to me like it's that sort of like totally cynical but like weirdly like kind of like churchy tone on it like a very like like reverend lovejoy reading that statement would like really <laughs> land very hard to me because this, in particular, was reported by Sports Illustrated reporter Stephanie Epstein. That happened October 21st, and that same day the Astros put out a statement we're describing, and the closing quote was, quote, We are extremely disappointed in Sports Illustrated's attempt to fabricate a story where one does not exist. Mm. I bet quote. they were. I bet they were really disappointed by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all, they were just, yeah, they're just moping around, just like, man, you know, had, had such yeah. a good night, but oh. Sports Illustrated's integrity might be in question now. Yeah. And I, I expected were... better from, yeah. from them, to be honest. <laughs> just all looking out a window with a single tear falling. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, the state of the media. <laughs> uh. Ruin our celebration. God, like a cake with like a candle melting. Yeah. Just like, forget it. Take it away. I'm sad about Sports Illustrated's integrity. Oh. Which is and what do you win from a tone like that, too? Like, what? Is, I mean, especially it looks worse, obviously, when it comes out the next day that, like, you just accused a journalist of, like, the absolute cardinal sin of journalism. And for no reason, just it was totally wrong. Because as you say, the, the very next day, reporters from the Houston Chronicle and from The Athletic and other reporters who were around all confirmed Epstein's reporting even though Houston had basically said she deserved to be fired for making up a story. And then this executive, Brandon Taubman for the Astros, then does what what was framed as an apology by many people, but he, he played the card of being a father of daughters and closed with the phrase, I am sorry if anyone was offended by my actions, mm. which is, is deeply this decade. That, yep. is a, that is a thing everyone does all of yeah. the time. <laughs> so is father of daughters. That's great. Yeah, yeah. father of daughters <laughs> is great. That, and that's like a recognizable type of dude, too, the idea of like... People that like, <laughs> it's some sort of like extraordinary fuck up. And then they're like, my daughter Brycey is my life. Okay. <laughs> so whatever it is that you thought you saw me doing for 90 straight minutes on my Twitch feed, like I probably didn't do. <laughs> the, <laughs> the takeaway from, from all of that is that like, they never thought that they could conceivably get in trouble for any of this stuff. And it seems like they've been, yeah. as the story has like continued to metastasize and turn into like another sort of scandal. All of it, I think, is grounded in the fact that they like authentically can't believe that they're being held to account for any of their bullshit. It was the day after, so it was October 22nd, while Taubman is doing a fake apology, the team owner Jim Crane makes a statement that mainly just congratulates the Astros for raising $300,000 in fundraising toward domestic violence initiatives. And then also Major League Baseball makes a statement saying that they just need to investigate before they'll know what's going on, even though the entire sports media told them. And then the following day, GM Jeff Lunau of the Astros makes a non-apology and says, quote, we may never know, end quote, uh, the intention of Taubman's comments where he yelled at women. Well, he, and he, then... he knew it one second after it happened. Now he's questioning it a couple days yeah. later. That's Some more Trump shit there, too. The idea of like all these like rich kind of like cynical guys becoming like radical subjectivity dudes whenever they're called <laughs> yeah. into effect. Where they're like, what do our words, what are they? Though, if you think yeah. about it, I mean, truly, we can never know. Jeff Lonow, who is, by the way, 
you know, the most granular, controlling, analytical yes. <laughs> yeah. mind in, has quantified every aspect of baseball development and statistics or whatever, and then puts out a statement 30 seconds after the thing happens that it's a complete lie. Now, two days later, is like... Can anyone really know anything? It's incredible. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. You kind of seem like you knew what you were doing when you put the the statement out. But did we really yeah. put a statement out? Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, because then uh, the the next day, this is three days later. Uh, the Astros do go ahead and fire this executive who 72 hours earlier, they said did nothing wrong. And it was a made up story. Also, the team statement about firing him mainly focuses on how proactively the Astros helped the league investigate. The statement also claims that the Astros had an initial investigation and witness statements when they made their statement saying the story was made up, even though it was within uh, minutes of it coming out. Uh, yeah. it's, it can't be true at all. And then ever since then, people have asked, hey, Astros, like who put out that fraudulent statement smearing a reporter who did it? And the Astros just keep consistently saying, like, eh, there were too many cooks. You know, I, I yeah. don't know what was going on. Yeah, you said, uh, you said who many, knows? many people saw it, but I don't want to get into specifics. So many yeah. people. Yeah. They come up to yeah. me and they're crying and they say, I saw the statement, sir. And it was really <laughs> remarkable. It was an incredible statement. <laughs> yeah, really. Jeff Lunau, Lunau who, who fired, you know, <laughs> minor league hitting coaches who wouldn't, like, do his exact approach and stuff he is like the most right on top of everything all of the time general manager in sports and now he's just like i don't know man everyone kind of wrote a sentence uh yeah, it was yeah. kind of like a tele you know a telephone kind of thing <laughs> you know i think my secretary threw some some words in there yeah. and, you know who knows like <laughs> a lot of people have our twitter password man come on <laughs> I, I don't i can't i can't fix it yeah our account's been hacked really great so the thing that with Luno, that like is worth mentioning here, and it's the same thing with Taubman, it's the same thing with everybody in the Astros front office. He's a McKinsey consulting alum. Taubman, also McKinsey. McKinsey. All of these guys are like big data dudes. So, like, beyond the fact that they really do want to like understand every facet of it, like, Luno is like a McKinsey psychopath. Like, he has McKinsey audit the organization every year. That's the sort of culture that they've fostered there. One of the instructive things about this timeline is. Seeing Trump tactics out in the wild, and not just just Trump, but he's certainly popularized the, that way of like, this never happened, you know, fuck you. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Is when you do not have an immediate 50% of the population and conservative media machine 100% backing you up, then it unravels pretty quickly. Yeah. It always looks bad. <laughs> every, right. every other journalist, like other publications, whatever, the journalists are in solidarity with one another. And then like the fans of not, you know, the non Astros teams want to see them squirm and fail. And, and then just decent oh, people yeah. who are just like, <laughs> I, why were you yelling about this domestic abuse in closer to this female reporter for, for yeah. no, you like, know, for weird, no reason other man. than antagonism. Then you you realize that it just immediately falls apart. People are not like, no, this didn't go away. This makes no sense. What the hell? You have to answer it for yourself. And they're just like so appalled. They're just like, oh, I can't, I can't believe this is like still a thing a day later. Yeah. Like we said the thing. You know, it's like they're like they do, like you said they cannot even conceive of like having to actually investigate it or feel bad or right. e evaluate it in any way. There's and even the press conference he did after they fired the guy. Lunau, he said the many, many people, and then he was like, you know, I'm sure the the reporter was in a bad position, just like I am up here answering your questions, <laughs> oh. like twisting in the wind. Which again, he's like, right. is like so Trump he's like, should he's, just constantly be like, back to me. 
Like, yeah. it's been a real difficult time for me, okay? Like, I had yeah. to fire the guy that yelled about the domestic abusing guy to somebody <laughs> 36 hours after I tried not to, so. You know how annoying it here? is to, like, close his email account and stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm basically being attacked just like the reporter in with my time usage. And then, and then like, someone asked if, she could, if he had apologized to her, and he was like, I haven't had the time. And yeah. it's like, you haven't had the time. Like you, you put out like seven morphing statements over yeah. the last four days, and right. she was also in the room when he said that. It's just like not only trying to gaslight everyone, but then when you like get called on it, just still being like, oh, I cannot believe that I have yeah. to like do the smallest amount of making amends. Everyone's like, oh, he finally did the right thing. Everyone's like, wow, he tried to get away with his bullshit. Now he's doing the bare minimum and still does not give a shit. You know. It's not like Lunau yeah. today. Like if you get him and the Astros brass in a room privately, you know, they're not like, I'm sure glad we fired that guy. I'm, you know, they're definitely like, oh, man, remember that bullshit with the stupid reporter who yeah. did this? You know, like there's no way they learned anything or believe anything differently than they believed before that. Uh, they just did like the bare minimum because they had to. The idea of that being like like Trump lines delivered by a non-Trump person in a non-Trump context, like it is mm. astonishing how poorly they work because it's like little kid shit. <laughs> like it's just the idea of like constantly being unable to get out of your own experience. You know, the idea of like propping yourself up as like the victim in this totally gratuitous thing that you've like fucked up at every turn where you're like constantly being like, well, I haven't slept great. Okay. Last night, fine. The night before that, not great. I was waking up. Like, but like I, di- I did have a coffee at 4 p.m., but I think it was the Sports <laughs> Illustrated thing. But like, you have to be Trump to think that people would care about that shit. That's his fucking dharma is to believe that the entire world is like concerned primarily with like how comfortable and happy he is at all times. Even in that specific game where this incident happens and Osuna gave up runs and kind of blew it for the Astros... Then their opponents, the Yankees, it's like, okay, who will the Yankees bring in to try to take this over? And they bring in Araldis Chapman, who is a pitcher who was the previous famous domestic abuse relief pitcher in the league. Yep. Turned into has... like an arbitrage case by like cynical teams that were like, we can probably get him for free now that he like randomly fired a gun near his wife for no reason. That like, yeah, which is the same a, deal. It's a market inefficiency. Yeah, you know? it <laughs> it's not a joke. You know, they're like, it's like yeah, Tyree, it's, yeah. it's like yeah. Tyreek Hill falling in the NFL draft. It's like, ooh, yeah. like this makes him like underratedly valuable, yeah. and and no calculus of like, maybe we shouldn't get this crazy asshole. Like, right. Certainly, yeah. there's no like concern for the values of it. Sooner or later, every team like winds up with a test like this because you know there's. Mm-hmm. You employ a lot of people. Well, they, we probably should have seen the gaslighting thing coming, too, because when the, the Astros, they had a front office debate about trading for Ozuna. They won the World Series before they traded for him. Then the next year, they traded for him, and apparently most of the front office was against it, except for Lunau himself. He wanted Ozuna, got the owner's approval, and traded for him. And then in his like opening statement after they got Ozuna, he said... The Houston Astros have a no-tolerance domestic abuse policy. Starting now. Starting now, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was just like one of those statements where you're like, I don't even know what how to react to that. I don't even know how that what that means. Just bold. Yeah. yeah. It's like, kind of sounds like it's not zero. It's it's, right. kinda, yeah. it's like, we have a 20-tolerance policy. Or so, you know, it's like- Once this punch card is complete. Like when yeah. You- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
Hello, the distant future. It's me also in the distant future because we live in 2019 and we're about to live in 2020. Some of you are even listening to this show in 2020. Wow, what's it like? I can't believe it. Maybe even a few of you went way back from 2021, 22. I don't know what people do in the future. All I know is there will still be an internet. You want to have a website that looks great, that works great, that fits every device and system and purpose that there could possibly be. And good news, Squarespace is the perfect partner to make that happen, to support you as you build a website for yourself. And when I say build, I really mean uh, mostly have fun. Uh, they have very straightforward, easy-to-use templates that are created by world-class designers, so they look great. They're also very, very easy to tinker with and manipulate and make exactly what you want. And there's more tools from there. They have an e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything. They have analytics that help you grow your website every way you want to. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. So it looks good on tablets and phones and whatever people use in 2020. It still sounds like an eyeglasses measurement to me. I, I am not over how the year sounds like a prescription. I think I may never get over it and just need 2021 to roll around. Either way, whatever you're using to read the internet in the future, the Squarespace site will look great on it. So head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash cracked. Offer code cracked. Because it is, it is, it's all values and culture. And somehow that scandal we just described got eclipsed by a different Houston Astros scandal. Because last week, as of when we're taping this, a former Astros pitcher named Mike Fears, Fires? Fires. he told the athletic journalism organization that the Astros have been using a center field camera to steal signs. And if you don't know baseball, that's when teams lately using technology will get an illegal look at what a catcher is signaling to the pitcher and then relay that to their hitter so they can cheat. So this former player for the team said that. He said that uh, they had someone watching a camera in the hallway between the dugout and the clubhouse, and then they would do things like banging on a trash can to signal what type of pitch yep. it was. And then since then, many other people have corroborated what the pitcher said, and also there's uh, been people finding videos. His name's John Boy. His name's Jimmy O'Brien. Uh, compiled videos of just there's banging on trash cans for off-speed pitches, and it was just what they did to cheat. And the Astros did this throughout, including their World Series run, all the time. Yeah. I have to admit that I love this one because it's like, it's clearly the result of like, you know, like they got all the technology, they've set all this stuff up, they know that they've like found some sort of angle or lever. So it's like, it's all McKinsey right up until the point where it's like, you have an intern sitting at a folding table holding a bat, like just wailing <laughs> yeah. on a garbage can because of something that he saw on a computer screen where it's like, I'm sure that they would rather have like turned it into an app. Or, like, found some way to, like, make this real sophisticated or technological. But it's not. Right. It's like a guy in, like, a tunnel being like, Pitch is coming! Like, which is incredible. <laughs> Our employee was simply expressing enthusiasm for the garbage can. <laughs> we were happy that we acquired it. So one of the... He's happy to acquire a lot of pieces of equipment that we have. Because also in the in the footnotes to the episode, not only will you be able to see video of the very dumb just bong, bong, like on yeah. a trash can, but also since then people have found that there's video evidence of 
a guy at the laptop setup in this like dingy hallway that the team had. And the video evidence is from the Astros 2017 World Series win DVD. Yep. So like the DVD the team made to celebrate <laughs> winning <laughs> just has clips and footage of a guy helping them cheat. Uh, it's it's such a shabby setup too. Like it really is like one of those like shitty catering tables, like a yeah. red laptop with like an Astros logo on it. So you know, <laughs> like somebody else's. And then like yeah, one of those big gray plastic garbage cans sitting nearby. Like really, yeah. the command center. It, it was a little conspicuous that there's a giant uh, portrait in center field, and when they're batting, the eyes in the portrait disappear. <laughs> And these two new eyes appear and just look at the batter. And you're like, that's weird. That's, that's Herbert Astro. Portrait. He founded know. the team. Show a little respect. Man I, swear the- I swear he's looking at me and also whispering, change up. <laughs> like, if you uh, like, listen hard on the wind on the on the on a, on a summer's night, you can hear him dipping yeah. pitches. I encourage that everybody that is interested in watching these videos should watch it. But before you do, think in your head about the sound it would make to bang a baseball bat against a large empty trash can. It's yeah. funnier than you have imagined it. Like it is yes. such a stupid sound. Like it is <laughs> if it was a slide whistle, it wouldn't be dumber. Like it's just the the dumbest sounding thing when you see the videos of like a guy in the box and you can just hear in the background like boom, like just this like stupid <laughs> gong sound. Because the pitcher also knows what he is throwing. Yeah. And so you would think eventually he'd start to notice, hey, every time I don't throw a fastball, there's a bunch of banging that everyone in the first couple rows can hear. And it's very, very loud. Like, it's it's the most brazen, stupid form of yeah. cheating. It's great. I mean, like, there's always <laughs> been sign stealing. There's always, And that's like, it's a part of the yeah. game. It's been around forever. The league itself, I guess, has put a special emphasis now on, like, not doing it this particular way. That, like, they don't want teams using cameras to do it. Every team has always done it. The thing that's that's funniest to me about all this is that the team that's, like, famously the smartest and most merciless found a way that's, like, (laughs) even dumber than what they were doing in the 50s. When they, like, they didn't even have plastic garbage cans then. You know, like, beyond the, like, the camera in center field or whatever, they still found, like, ways to do it. But, like, instead of it being, like a fat guy putting his hat on or taking it off like by after looking through binoculars they actually found a way that's cornier than that in like 2019 <laughs> like the the data first organization did yeah cuz also this is another scandal where it is part of the wider culture of the whole league cuz like you say the league has decided if a team can just figure it out and non-technologically steal a sign that's gamesmanship that's just being smart but in 2017 the Boston Red Sox got caught using Apple watches to relay stolen signs against the Yankees. And then the Yankees figured it out and like told on them. And so the Astros aren't even, this is another thing where the Astros are just one of the many teams doing this. <laughs> and it was, it was conspicuous when they were the only 18 guys who weren't Apple employees to <laughs> yeah. own Apple watches. <laughs> Everybody's playing with like Google team. Glass on. And they're like, well, you look stupid. Why are you, why are you wearing those? <laughs> guys, should we not use this Oculus Rift to steal signs? I feel like it's conspicuous and noticeable. Just the, the like, like bench coach in the like, dugout in one of those full like lawnmower man like <laughs> and from his point of view it's like this like green like emerald crystal hand that's yeah. just like change up <laughs> reaching out <laughs> and then there's a want to do one other Astros thing because uh, recently the 2019 Washington Nationals won the World Series 
And so there's been controversy around their White House visit. But it also seemed very in line with the Astros going to the White House when they won. All of the players went except for two Puerto Rican players, Carlos Correa and Carlos Beltran. Both those players made pains to let everyone know that it was not political, that they were not going. So the whole team just showed up to meet with Trump. And then now that that's been a little bit the norm, the 2019 Nats, several players skipped it. But other players, Kurt Suzuki wore a mega hat and got like an odd hug from Trump. Yeah. Hard to say what that really was. Trump kind of snuck up behind him. Yeah. You have to say he grabbed his boobs. Uh, <laughs> and then we need like one of those Trump faces behind him. Like the photo of it is like Suzuki talking, Trump's hands on his tits, like the Janet Jackson Rolling Stone cover. And, <laughs> and, and Trump's face is turned to the side and he's making that face he often makes where he's like, ooh, like just for whatever reason, like he's totally puckered up. Yeah, he loves that. I don't he know loves why. It. I, don't, yeah. I think he likes it when his mouth does things. I think he's like a little, he's like a baby. <laughs> in that way. Anyway, yeah, yeah. so the, the Nats, uh, they showed up. They were they were very complimentary to President Trump for all that he's done. And they did a thing that it, it seems to be happening all over the place where conservative people or right-leaning people frame what they do as apolitical and just normal mm-hmm. uh, because Suzuki wore a MAGA hat, but also then when asked about it said he was, quote, just trying to have some fun, said, quote, everybody makes everything political. It was about our team winning the World Series. And then meanwhile, his teammate Ryan Zimmerman said to Trump in this like sports celebration, quote, we'd also like to thank you, Trump, for keeping everyone here safe in our country and continuing to make America the greatest country to live in in the world. But that's in like a baseball context. Like if you have to understand (laughs) sports at a fine level to get like the baseball sort of part of that. But if you do, yeah, yeah, it's kind of inarguable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's weird that a- the Astros Puerto Rican players had some conflict that day. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, in 2017, yeah, just, uh, but I don't. I don't remember if anything dramatic happened know, to Puerto de- Rico. De- dentist the- appointment or something. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just like, <laughs> oh shit, that's the White House day. Well, I'm gonna miss it, but not for any reason. You know? Definitely nothing that Trump yeah. has fucking stayed mad about for two years. No, happened I, in 2017 I can, to Puerto Rico. I can think about, yeah. We will link about Hurricane Maria if people don't remember the yeah. year. And yes. the unrelated <laughs> dentist appointment that yeah, you guys right. had. Uh, <laughs> put that in the footnotes. Because <laughs> it, it seems like everywhere in culture, but especially in these White House visits, these guys want to visit the president, laud the president, and like the president without getting any criticism for it. And it's uh, really uh, frustrating because then people who dislike the president get accused of being uh, political or shrill or something else. Whereas like the norm is just like spending all day walking around dreaming of thanking the president for something, which seems to be what this (laughs) is that like it's that's like the sort of story that Trump likes to tell about himself. And somehow, like, I guess if you consume enough conservative media, you think that that's like the normal engagement with him. He's just a dude that you hired for a job. You don't need to thank him. But maybe it's been going on all the time. But I feel like in the recent times I've been around for people feel a need to love the president, Mm -hmm. even though it's an elected official doing a job and you don't necessarily have to. That's an all sides thing. I feel like. Yeah, definitely. The idea of him being like the other dad that you have, the dad that has the nuclear codes. Like, you gotta, I wanna have a healthy relationship with that man. Yeah. The White House visits are kind of a, was a personal issue for me. Not, you know, personal, but like, I'm a, I'm a big Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And I think they were the first team that had to visit the White House after Trump was elected in 2017 after they won the 2016 Cup. So the, the visit happened to align with when Trump was going after the NFL. 
And so he was like attacking the NFL a lot, attacking like the players and owners and stuff. And even the NFL owners were like anti-Trump at that time. You remember Jer- freaking Jerry Jones like kneeled on the sidelines. It's like yeah. the lamest thing in the world. Yeah. But like there's a there video very... of that of him like waving a cameraman over right before he did it. Classic Jerry shit. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. The Penguins had to go and a lot of Penguins fans were wanted them to to boycott it or like Sidney Crosby to to boycott it. You know, and I kind of understand that and I feel that same way. But this goes back to the distraction issue and the idea that like these players, I don't even think they're pro or anti-Trump. I mean, first of all, these hockey players have done nothing in their lives but play competitive travel hockey since they were like three. So they have like no idea. (laughs) But like, (laughs) so what they did, this is telling, I think, they still went to the White House, but they did not, the Penguins Instagram account didn't post any photos from it. Uh, they didn't make a big deal of it. There's no like photos of Crosby hugging Trump or anything like that. And so I think it's instructive that it's like they did whatever would cause the least amount of issue. Yeah, wow. And yeah. It's like two players skip it. All of a sudden, they're like the activist players who are skipping and they have to answer questions about it. And then the coach is ask, answering questions about what he thinks about the players skipping and stuff like that. And it becomes a thing. But if they go and they're too into it, then it's like... Now you have this picture of Crosby and Trump that you're going to see every time he does something. And you're yeah. just like, oh, God, that's mortifying. And so they they pick this like, we don't want to offend anyone. Like, let's just do this like very run of the mill thing. Yeah. And like you like you were saying earlier, it's kind of implicitly saying the status quo is like the least offensive thing. And anything that deviates from that is the problem. Any so criticism like, of what's going on is breaking yeah, it. So anything. it's like if yeah. Trump is doing crazy shit that's like whatever beyond what a president's normal scope is, still players go to you, you win the championship, you go to the White House, just go. And anything that deviates then becomes more of a story. So people who are risk averse, attention averse, professional athletes, franchises, they just want to offend the least amount of people. They pick the path of least resistance and do what is the most bland possible thing. I mean, that's why the Kurt Suzuki thing is even weirder, because it's like, I could understand if he went to the White House, just didn't do anything, say anything, whatever. It's like, it's not a strong move, but it's not necessarily like, I'm a full-throated Trump supporter. But like, putting the hat on and doing that is like, no one asked yeah. you to do that. What the hell? Are you, like, yeah. and, and even making light of all of it is like, so, it's just so bizarre. And it's telling of how like, divorced they are from like... You know, yeah. the discourse. It's just like, they're just like, oh, we're just screwing around. Who gives a shit? You know? It's very it, it's very Ellen DeGeneres hanging out with George W. Bush. Yeah. Like, how yeah. dare you yeah, criticize exactly. me for having a friend? You mm-hmm. know, well, okay. <laughs> Basically, the idea that anything is normal if you say it's normal. Like, if you do it, then it is, like, de facto normal. So the idea of being like, yeah, yeah I did the fucking Macarena with Donald Rumsfeld. Like, is that, like, <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> and we were at the same event. We were at the, the the Predator Institute's annual gala, and they put it on. So, like, well, I don't know what 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 would you have me do? You know, right. <laughs> incredible to me. But the uh, the focus on the status quo and wanting that all the time, I think, leads to the NBA very well because we've got a, a main story here. It was always tagged on Deadspin as the Great Layup Forward, which is a fun pun on the Great Leap Forward in communist Chinese history. Because in uh, June of 2019, there began to be protests in Hong Kong. They were mainly centered around a plan changed by the main Chinese government to allow extradition from Hong Kong to China. We'll have links about the full details of this because it is a, a whole thing. But it uh, was basically a situation where protesters in Hong Kong were fighting for more democracy there because they they have some of that as a special zone. 
And then on October 4th, the general manager of the Houston Rockets NBA team, Daryl Morey, tweeted, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. That was the entire tweet. That's all that happened. And then since then, there has been a cascading series of arguments and of accepting Chinese government directive in the NBA because they a lot of people really, really didn't like the the employee for the Houston basketball team tweeting this. Immediately, the owner of the Rockets team did a quote tweet of Morey that said, quote, listen, Daryl Morey does not speak for the Houston Rockets. And then also Morey's tweet was denounced by China's government, by the Chinese Basketball Association. Chinese broadcasters threatened to stop airing Rockets games. And by October 6th, two days later, Morey had apologized for the tweet saying, quote, I was merely voicing one thought based on one interpretation of one complicated event. I've had a lot of opportunity since that tweet to hear and consider other perspectives, end quote. Can anyone really know anything? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) The profiles in radical subjectivity again. Daryl Morey having politics in general was just kind of weird to me. And that one felt, I think the one criticism that I saw of that tweet that made sense to me was that like, you know, like LeBron later like disavowed it and was like, I don't think he's fully informed on the issue or whatever, which again did all of the response to it felt like the league sucking up to this big market that they would like to make more money from. But, like, I don't know that that particular tweet from Daryl Morey suggested, like, great dedication to the cause to me. Like, it just sort of, it felt like a meme, kind of. Like, Coney 2012. Like, we're all just saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that that makes it in a sort of a dark way, like, more appropriate for this moment. That the whole thing was, like, not thought out. And that then everybody immediately (laughs) scrambled to suck up to an authoritarian regime because they were worried about losing a billion dollars. Because for people who don't know, like, as this was happening, there were NBA teams doing an Asian tour, including China. The idea was to open up those countries to buying and and watching NBA stuff. Like, they wanted to make money. China is crazy about the NBA. There's, like, a real, they love basketball, and they, you know, have at this point produced, like, you know, I mean, a Hall of Fame player in Yao Ming. Like, there's a lot there that I can see what the business relationship is, but at some point, too, it's the same thing with, like, when you see wwe with like the kingdom of saudi arabia or something like at some point you have to know when you get into a relationship with someone like that that you're gonna have to like issue some official statement both sides in a genocide because like that's just like (laughs) what these what these countries are are going to do and they're not gonna listen to any like measured criticism of what they do from you or anybody else they do business with they'll just fucking stop they know they've got that lever It's kind of relevant, too, to, you know, movies and Hollywood deal with this, too, where the Chinese market is such a, like, sweet, sweet plum that, you know, there's a few movies a year that get, like, wide distribution in China and double their, not, maybe not double, but, like, they just juice the box office so heavily. Yeah. And to do that, you have to either, you know, either not mention China or portray China in a positive light or show China, like, the Transformers four or five or something like four. I, I yeah. remember seeing four in the theater and they it's basically two entire movies and they just kind of repeat all the events in China after yeah. America. It's so very good. strange. Yeah. They, and, and it's, it's a, it's just a path of least resistance thing where it's like, well, we have to throw in like a one Chinese character in the Martian. Who's like kind of nice and we'll get a billion dollars. Like, yeah, sure. Why not? Versus being like, we don't need to like, criticize china in a transformers movie it's either like we do nothing or this bare minimum and get lots of money or we like speak out against injustice and cost ourselves this huge thing and so it's like well we're gonna take the easy path it's like way 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 easier there's something really liberating about just sucking 
and like not trying in that way, which I think is like basically what all this is that they're just kind of like, well, whatever, like what is, whose artistic vision is being compromised here? In the NBA's case, like that decision to just make money and not try is is very, very clear. For one thing, the other the other person who lost out here is Adrian Wojnarowski, known as Woj. Woj. Uh, Woj. Because he is a famous analyst who is so famous he was going to have a whole NBA show in China called Woj in the House. But then people <laughs> found out he put a like on Daryl Morey's tweet. Like he just liked it. And they canceled the show. That was it. Uh, just gone. That uh, probably multi-million dollar opportunity. A few days after this, Warriors coach Steve Kerr refused to comment, said, quote, the world is a complex place and there's more gray than black and white. October 14th, LeBron was asked about it. And LeBron said, quote, I don't want to get into a feud with Daryl Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on the situation at hand. And he spoke. Then the following day, LeBron said he would never talk about this again. He's just <laughs> not going to say anything he's done. And then by October 24th, uh, a few weeks later, NBA commissioner Adam Silver goes on inside the NBA to address it. He claims the league values freedom of expression and then also says the league will, quote, double down on engaging with the people of China and India and throughout Africa, throughout the world, regardless of their governments, end quote. Yeah, look, if they like basketball, they like basketball, right? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't feel Man, good you're coming already, out you're at already, all. You're already media trained for this. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dave would like to announce his new job as yeah. the director I'm, of Chinese outreach. I'm really excited. I feel like I've got a lot of listening to do and a lot of learning. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that this never comes up in the free speech discourse. You know, when we talk yeah. about the New York Times, who are like the center, center right columnists who are always complaining about free speech or, you know, the Jonathan Chates or like the entire right wing. Who, who always complain about, you know, like, oh, you can't do, say anything on a college campus anymore. Or say, you know, <laughs> right. like, it's basically every one of those columns that is written every single day in the New York Times is about, it always boils down to, like, you know, some college student in, like, New Hampshire yeah. called sushi racist or something. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, this student did this. Oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, this the, is the, the Barry Weiss you, genre. You know, yeah, the, yeah, old, the Barry, yeah. yeah. I just hate mentioning the people but like, by name. It, it's it such should a be illegal to be rude to me. That's basically yeah. like the general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just these people who are obsessed. They write whole books about it and yeah. whatever. And then it's just like something like this, which is a really wide-ranging free speech issue that has like serious implications and stifles a lot more people and has a lot more power imbalance than like some student saying some shit once does not enter into the discourse. You know, yeah. I had not even heard the thing about Waj's show getting canceled. Like, yeah, for liking. Yeah. It. yeah. I don't know. Is that cancel culture? Like, no, cause <laughs> yeah. it's not, cause it's like, doesn't count. It's like, it is also like, that was one of the things where he was like besieged by like what were very obviously like bot farms run out of China. Like this is like, it is a state preventing. I mean, it's not like the Chinese pretend that they care about free speech or whatever, but they like, they made it so that he couldn't do his show. Like he literally <laughs> couldn't talk <laughs> on the thing. And yet right. like. Somehow there's some other like whatever, like more complicated shades of gray Steve Kerr subjectivity thing on the like whether or not this is like in any way in contravention of the NBA's famous dedication to free speech. Just none of the people who are like, we must let, you know, Milo speak at this college, even if you don't agree with him. <laughs> yeah. I, none of them are coming out and being like, hey, this GM should be able to say what he wants. Like, you know, yeah. it's weird that there's this corporation in lockstep with the Chinese government. There was kind of an attempt on the part of the Republicans or whatever to sort of leverage it in the same way that, like, I think 
Trump leveraged the NFL. That I think it was like Pence. Yeah, I think so. This was the same day Adam Silver was on Inside the NBA saying that they would uh, do whatever. Vice President Mike Pence said that, quote, inciting with the Chinese Communist Party and silencing free speech, the NBA is acting like a wholly owned subsidiary of the authoritarian regime, end quote. How disappointing it must be <laughs> for a lifelong basketball fan like Mike Pence, a normal guy. He just loves the Pacers to see yeah. his beloved Lee acting like this. And again, yeah. it's the sort of thing where like, that's an attempt at it, right? But it's like, it's not there. Like they don't have the the real dedication yeah. to see it through and keep pounding on it the way that they do with the NFL. It's just like, and I think that's, you know, when, at the risk of like over reducing it. It's like the NBA is considered to be black stuff by a lot of Mike Pence's base. And so like, of course you have to be like, yeah, they don't stand for anything actually. I, I feel like that statement reads to me, maybe I'm being too cynical, as like an attempt to, it's like a trial balloon of like, let's see if ripping on the NBA gets us points, Yep. you know, yeah. and wants to like create that adversarial relationship that it's like, hey, we can all rip on the NBA, and we all know what that means. Because well, also also Mike Pence has, has no grounds to be worried about it, because he's clearly, like you say, ripping on the NBA to score points, and then... When NFL players try to exercise their free speech by not saying anything and kneeling, he uh, we have an episode about Mike Pence that we'll link. He marched out of an Indianapolis Colts game in a way that was very obviously premeditated uh, just to make a point about how NFL players should stop having free speech. It was so good. Uh, so he's a piece of shit as yep. a point, I think. Uh, <laughs> Man with no values. That you simply love to see it in, in our politics. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Because we've got a we've got this NHL story here. NHL is hockey, and so this is about a Canadian person. I feel like one big takeaway is other countries are being America-ish too. Like they have their own. Because Don Cherry is a legendary hockey uh, analyst, and he was like kind of a commentator for a while, but he mostly does like between periods having opinions sort of show uh, called Coach's Corner. And in November 9th, 2019, Cherry went on a long rant about how people in Canada's larger cities are unpatriotic. And are not wearing World War One memorial poppies as much as other Canadians, like uh, British Commonwealth. That's a big thing, the memorial poppy for World War One. And Cherry said, "Quote: You people that come here, you love our way of life. You love our milk and honey. At least you can pay a couple bucks for a poppy or something like that. These guys paid for your your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys paid the biggest price." End quote. And in particular, the "you people" part was taken as anti-immigrant and racist. And why do you think that was? <laughs> yeah you people in the bigger cities not the smaller ones yeah. but more white people yeah and then the following day his network merely said that his comments were discriminatory and offensive and that they had a talk with him the day after that cherry told the toronto sun he refuses to apologize and said quote i have had my say and then the network fired him following day uh, don cherry went on tucker carlson's show and claimed he was fired for just saying the phrase, you people, that everyone is too sensitive to and blame society for their oversensitivity. And then yesterday, from when we're taping, November 19th, he started a podcast to fight cancel culture. Do you know how old Don Cherry is? Apparently he's 85. 85. 85. Yep. Yeah. So he needs a job. Yeah. You got to get a podcast. <laughs> the idea of having an 85-year-old man do a podcast is so on its face elder abuse to me that I can't believe that we're even having to talk about this stuff. <laughs> it's the Creed Thoughts blog. Like, yeah. There. Like, there's definitely not, uh, there are no, no, no recording, no recording yeah. devices running there. Right. <laughs> uh, so Don Cherry, for our viewers, if they don't know him, there's not really a U.S. equivalent, but he, 
he does the intermission during Hockey Night in Canada, which is kind of like a Monday Night Football for Canada. Yeah. And he represents, he's not only just like the hot takey, like, you know, toughness, you got to be tough and gritty or whatever. He's not just an analyst. I feel like he has come to represent sort of this old school Canadian toughness kind of way of life. Uh-huh. And that's why people love him. And he was super hateful towards, he hated like Russian players when they started coming in the NHL in the 90s <laughs> and Czech players and hates French Canadian players. And it's like, oh boy. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of tying xenophobic twist to like their actual play it's like the good canadian way to play is like being tough and hard and having each other's back and fighting and whatever and the russians are all fancy pants you know finesse skill you push them they fall over that kind of thing yeah and so he's he's like (laughs) he's he's not just a commentator but he's kind of come to represent a thing about canada and so when he makes a comment like this i you know i i was just talking to an old Canadian dude I play hockey with the other night. And he was like, you know, it's a PC world and he's not a PC guy is what, is what the guy oh, said. Man. And I'm just like, <laughs> everything now is reduced to like, if you make a statement that pisses people off, you must have said some fundamental underlying truth yeah. that no one wants to admit and everyone's too sensitive to admit it. Yeah. And it's never like people are mad because what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Is that's he right. is John Cherry, you know, it's not like I'm like, oh well, that's true, but he shouldn't say it. I'm like, this 85-year-old hockey commentator is walking around Canada taking inventory of like people with brown skin and noting how many of them are wearing poppies yeah. versus yeah. people who are not like like, what are you talking about, basically? Like, where did you come up with this number or whatever, this gut feeling? But, like, as soon as people criticize it, everyone falls into their camps of, like, oh, you're attacking the good old classic old-school Canadianness, yeah, and the new school cancel culture whatever is against it. It turns into this binary so easily that, like, lost in that is, like, A, what the fuck are you talking about? And B, people can be mad for reasons that are not, like, oversensitivity it's right. like what yeah and you're in the fuck you're the fucking intermission of a hockey game that's the part that this. i kept coming back to on all of this is that like if you were like a hockey fan like wouldn't you be a little mad like you're watching this game there's like two good teams you know it's like a big matchup and then this guy like yeah. you only get a few minutes you know and there's like maybe you want to <laughs> learn something about what happened and then this just like ancient bouncer guy who's wearing like <laughs> the clothes that he wears it's worth mentioning that he looks oh, yeah. like a yeah it's become a self-parody yeah so he's wearing like a suit he just looks like a fucking watermelon jolly rancher he's got a collar <laughs> very that's, bright. Like, clears his earlobes are tucked into the collar of his shirt just of necessity because <laughs> yeah. it goes up that high and then he gets on there and like talks about immigrants these days or whatever and you're like well i don't what did fucking Connor mcdavid do man like you have like three minutes so like wrap up the bit about the turks so that i can know a little bit more about what i'm going to be seeing going forward because <laughs> cherry also in this segment he in the past last year 2018 during a first period intermission there was a coach's corner segment where cherry called people who believe in climate science cuckaloos and then later in the segment he demanded that his co-host because he has a co-host for all these just sitting there Uh, He demanded that his co-host, Ron McLean, explain why he and his, quote, left-wing pinko friends 
could explain uh, why the, there are rising temperatures in the world, yet it's so cold outside oh, right now. Classic. In 2003, he did a segment where he demanded that Canada support the U.S.'s invasion of Iraq and berated his co-host for being neutral about it. Like, he's constantly doing these just unhinged political things on his segment, and it took multiple decades for him to get fired. Well, what's interesting is every single time this happened, old white guys in Canada immediately said, stick to sports. They're, oh, to they're like, Jerry? yeah, absolutely do not. To, no, of course, oh, of course okay. not. No. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was so hopeful. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're like, no, I'm just yeah. watching this hockey game to find out about why it's so cold outside if the world is getting yeah. warmer. Right. Yeah. It's just like the, the you know, I have to the, watch like 20 the, minutes of hockey to find out what this, <laughs> what this octogenarian man yeah. dressed like fucking the, prince the, thinks about this. The, the stick to sports crowd that is like, you know, I, whether or not you agree with Kaepernick, that is his workplace. And if I did in my workplace, do, 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 you know, like whatever knots you tie yourself into for that suddenly do not a- apply when Don Cherry is ranting about, you know, climate right. science during the second period intermission of a Winnipeg Jets game. It's like, you know, there's like a telestrator up and like a play happening in the background. He's just like, yo, you hear about this QAnon? There's like play going on in the background. It's like, what, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's no real U.S. equivalent to that. It'd be, you know, it'd be like if like yeah. Tony yeah. La Russa or something was on some baseball program that the whole country watched and every week was just like ripping on Latin players for not playing the game the right way or yeah. something like that. It's like, that's what he, he transcends just like analysis and becomes representing this like very clear to the people who share it, yeah. what he represents and so any attack on him, even if it is for what the fuck are you talking about, about these poppies and immigrants, that it becomes like, oh, now you are attacking the old Canadian way of life. And it is not the actual facts in front of you disappear and it becomes a faction type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's like to me, like the working definition of just octogenarian intellectual excellence is when they're just the same things that they've been mad about, like that they were mad about 30 years ago. They're just as mad about them. And they're still yeah. adding PC culture. stuff to that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you can go back far enough to the, you know, some point they're like, whatever, the, whatever like roiled campuses in like the late 70s in Canada, like Cherry's still probably pretty fucking heated about that because yeah. he like never got a straight answer from the kids or whatever. Which is you do you occasionally hear people still talk about hippies? There hasn't been a hippie in like forty oh, years. That's so good, <laughs> but <Yeah>. they're mad. <laughs> like this all kind of comes down. It seems like to like not just insisting that like when you do something it's normal and when other people do it it's fucked up. But then there's just like this inability yeah. to conceive of like a world in which your opinion does not need to be shared. You know that like yeah. all of this is just like, I mean, you want to say it, it's like privilege, right? I never really understood those terms in the way that they tend to get used, like sort of online or like I'm not as much a part of that discourse. But definitely, a lot of it is the idea of like getting on there, like watching the the camera light go on and being like, I'm not going to talk about the Winnipeg Jets because there's something that's more important to me, which is like <laughs> I had a cab driver and he was either Indian or Pakistani, and I didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. just the idea that yeah. you, that you, somehow you need to get those those fucking bars out so everyone can hear it is really <laughs> it, inspiring. And the classic idea of doubling down and not apologizing therefore means you're tough and right and you know upstanding and not like oh maybe I said a weird thing that pissed off like the giant you know Punjab population in Toronto that watches Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. Or the white population that's just nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I know plenty of Canadian dudes who hate Don Cherry and have thought he was a black eye for years. But like the idea that like anything you say that pisses people off is a fundamental truth and then doubling down on it makes you like a truth warrior. Yeah. Like I am and, not yeah. going to get bullied into having some insight into any of my actions or thoughts. 
Yeah. Just, you know, whatever. Long may you wave, man. That's a very brave stance, not looking at yourself like that. And in 2020, let's all move past it. Let's do it. I okay. think we will. I think once this podcast comes out, we're it's just going to be done. We're, we're oh. going to move right past it. Yeah. Patience heal. Yeah. yeah. Folks, that's the episode for this week. My enormous thanks to Dan Hopper and David Roth for knowing this stuff like in their bones. I think I think all three of us are incredibly enthusiastic about these kind of stories in terms of the wildness of them and the importance of them. And I, and I hope that came through as we did it. In our food notes, you will find many, many, many sources about what's going on in football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. I particularly recommend the evidence of the Houston Astros baseball team stealing signs and the trash can banging that uh, is involved in it and the stupid little laptop setup that they had. It's a really fun, cheesy thing uh, that also probably determined the last couple World Series winners. So how about that? And you will also find links in particular for Dan and for David in terms of finding their comedy. They're both particularly amazing on Twitter. That is at Dan Hop with two Ps for Dan and at David underscore J underscore Roth for David Roth. And you will find that Undeadspin Twitter account to sort of magically follow all the people from that amazing website. Beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Devin Bryant in Los Angeles and Dave Seidel in New York, and then it was edited by Chris Souza in one single place. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated this episode, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A space where baseball teams and presidents are both kind of assholes at the same time. My Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzstagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and so much more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>